You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, you're going to hear the conversation that I had with an 11-year-old boy. He's um, in Austria, and let's just call him S. So I have this conversation with S, and how I met S was he wrote me an email and I got a little bit confused because he's only 11, he doesn't have his own email account and he wrote me an email from what I think is his, his mother's email address. And so I remember answering that email. It was an email just very politely explaining his, I'm an 11-year-old boy from Austria and I'm interested in recovery coaching. And um, so I sent that I sent to that email address the information that I always send about recovery coaching. Um, and then I get busy as usual and I... I Notice one day that I, I had this on my, my schedule that day. I had this consultation and, um, the consultation said with what it was with a person of one name, but then I realized that that must have been the person that actually booked the consultation. And I was trying to look back through my emails for correspondence that I must have had with S's mother or parent or father <laughs> or guardian. Um, because I couldn't remember having had any correspondence about this 11 year old boy. And usually, if I have a consultation book with somebody who is under the age of 18, and often with people over the age of 18 as well, I've had quite a lot of con- correspondence with their family. And I was just like, what? Where did I drop the ball here? Have I lost some emails? What's going on? Um, and then it was the time of the call. So I, I called the number I was given. And um, I said, sort of like, oh, hi, I'm this is Tabitha Farrar. I'm a recovery coach. I'm just you know, calling, I think this is the, is this the right number? And S said very confident, yes, I'm the person with anorexia. And I thought, all right then. <laughs> and I couldn't really believe I was talking to somebody quite so young who was so forthright and so just factual. I'm the person with anorexia. This is who I, I booked this appointment. This, we're, you know, we're talking about my recovery and I didn't, I, I, I had, so I, I had the whole, the whole consultation with S and, um, he was, he was, he was in the car for the beginning of it because he'd been picked up from school and it's a different time zone. So it's, you know, my working hours are sometimes the evening of in, in Europe. And, um, so I, I knew that there were, there were parents in the car driving the car and it just really stood out to me that I had this entire, 45 minute conversation with an 11 year old boy and, and not once did anybody else chime in and not once did they need to because he just was leading the way. He was just talking to me and he wasn't shy and he wasn't embarrassed and he wasn't kind of squeamy. I remember when I was 11, like talking to adults, I was a bit squeamy about that, like we're fidgety about it, like, oh God. He just wasn't at all and he, he made a real impression on me. S did. He, not just because of the way he was and the way he had asked his mother to book a consultation with me, and that's pretty much her, was her involvement in that. And then he just got on the phone and started talking and, and, um, telling me what questions he had and telling me what he'd learned and all of these things. Um, it wasn't just that about him. It was the way that he had been so, he, he was so, um, unaffected as far as he was concerned he he got this thing he he got this problem he went to the doctors 
his parents helped him. And he's working it out as you would solve any problem. He was so unaffected by most of the stigma that most of us have around an anorexia diagnosis. And he addressed it just so simply and wonderfully. Anyway, so afterwards, I did contact his mother. (laughs) I was like, your kid's amazing. Um, And... You know, like, I just wanted to be very sure that I, I, that they were there for the start. They were very much there. Um, and they were very much supportive. And, um, so I then asked if I, if, if S would like to talk on the podcast. And he, his mother said he would love to. And so the next thing you're going to hear is the conversation that we had. Here's S. A few months ago, got diagnosed with anorexia, and my main goal wasn't to get thin like many other people. It was mostly to get fit because I I consider myself as a bit chubby, and then that was the problem which led to like stopping eating and then it getting even se- more severe and worse until it got completely out of hand. So, how old were you when you got diagnosed? I was the same age I am now, eleven. You're 11, okay. And so that's, you didn't, you certainly don't feel that you wanted to get thin. You just kind of maybe have been, got the idea from somewhere that you were a little bit chubby and you just wanted to maybe do something about that. And then it went bad, eh? So how aware were you before you got that diagnosis? How aware were you that like anorexia was a thing I actually didn't know um I didn't know what anorexia was it was until one day that my mom showed me like just out of random she just showed me like look these people are uh, like this is what anorexia is and I didn't understand the concept that it was a mental illness I thought it was just like people who just just wanted to lose weight and they did that control, and they had control over it. And so how did, how, what led to you and your mum finding out that you had anorexia? How did that all work out? When I started, like, um, arguing with my parents and being all, like, selective about food and choosing the right, like, the right, not really right, but, like, the not so, not so right amount of food. And that's what uh, uh, my parents saw and they, they fought and took me to a doctor to find out if I had anorexia or not. Mm-hmm. So your, your parents noticed that something was going on. They noticed that something was up. Yeah, they did. Do you think you had noticed at that point that something was going on? Yeah, I, I'm the one who told them, like, I want to be admitted to the hospital. I need help. I am not... So what and made what made you think that? What made you suddenly think I I need I need help? Like what what? Because I was really depressed and my life was just like going downhill and I didn't feel happy about anything. And at that point, I just knew like something was wrong with me. I need to get it fixed quickly so I can live again. Because that's happily. the bit that's amazing to me. Because most a lot of people with an eating disorder, we just don't have that perception really of something's really wrong and I need to sort it out. 
I need to tell my parents to take me to the doctor. Um, what what was it about what was happening to you that felt um, wrong in a sense? Well, it was just wrong, like that. I would basically starve myself and ignore my hunger at mm. school and and weekends and whenever. It was just it just felt wrong that I was disobeying what my body wanted. But you felt like it wasn't as simple as just suddenly trying to eat more. Yeah. You could tell that it's... there was there was something more complicated and that it was more difficult than that. Yeah, it's more than that. It's basically yeah, it's mental illness. But so your your mum she noticed something's up and so when you first went when you first went to the doctor did you were you worried about going to the doctor no cuz i knew that whatever the doctor can do it's going to make me even like a small thing it's going to make me a bit better oh that's that's good so you've got quite a lot of trust in the doctors and yeah. so how do you think that your do you think that your mum was was really worried did she know the extent of maybe what an eating disorder was at that time or did do you think at that time no but like a few weeks before I got admitted she finally actually understood like that I'd it's not me that saying that I don't want to eat it's my ED saying that Mm -hmm. it's it doesn't want to eat Mm -hmm. and so I know that you you said that you so you went to the doctor and uh they sent you to for an inpatient stay didn't they yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the doctors didn't. Oh. They just um said like the psych, not really psychologist, but like the the first doctor I saw said like I don't know what I, I can't really do anything to help anymore. Oh. After like a few visits. Yeah. And then one night, my parents saw that like my pulse was especially like very low, and the next day she said we have to go to the hospital to check something mm-hmm. and somehow they the next week they admitted me even though there was like a big waiting list oh probably because i'm a boy and they, they had more boy room they had like a boy room oh left i see her. yeah you might be right there um and so were you how did you find that stay how long were you in the hospital for i was for 10 weeks okay and so how was that time how did you find that time the beginning of it, like the first uh, few days, I felt uh, not very good. I was very sad that like I can't see my parents only for one hour, uh, one hour and a half a day. Mm. And then suddenly one day, I got like a bit of motivation, and I was like, you know, if I'm gonna stay here, I should make the best of it and do whatever I can to enjoy myself somehow. Do you know what gave you that motivation? Well, one day I ate, like, a whole portion because at the beginning they didn't give me a diet. They just let me for a few days just, like, eat whatever I want so they could study how I eat and give me a diet plan. And one day I somehow, which now seems normal to me, but managed to eat a whole portion, which was, like, two slices of bread of some uh, spread. And that that was like yes, and that gave me the motivation to 
fully recover. Oh, so the fact that you actually were brave and you did something and you realized that you could do it. Yeah. But then what also happened was um, I was not really in the mindset. I was just a bit motivated, but like I continued losing weight until they gave me the diet plan. And then I was, I was happy. I was normal. I was not just as normal, but I was just like um, motivated to get into recovery with a diet plan and knowing that everything is under control by my dietitian and the people who make the portions for me. So you trusted that's, that's them. Yeah, I trusted mm-hmm. them. That's, that's great. A big thing for everybody who's going for an inpatient stay that you have to trust the people who make uh, who make your meals and your portions that they know just what's right for you. Mhm. And so you started to do quite well then when you were in the hospital. Yeah. Mhm. But then for many of many people that's the inpatient stay is one thing and then when you come out that's kind of often a really difficult transition. So how do you how did you manage that transition? Were you able to use your 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 family to help you? Well, um in the last few weeks of my stay, I mean I watched your videos from even before I went into the hospital and in my last few weeks, um or like uh, like the last month maybe, I decided, you know what? Uh, I need to get rid of all these um not restrictions but like cravings and all this mental hunger and like because I'm not allowed at the hospital because they don't let you eat they don't want you to gain more than like one kilo per week mm-hmm. so they don't really let you eat like whatever you want at whatever time you want and that's something that I don't really find that good at the um, treatment center mm-hmm. but like every time I get home like in the weekends I'd eat as much as I wanted and because you understood that that mental hunger was there yeah. and you understood that oh it's there for a reason I have to follow it yeah. that's amazing that you understood that um were were you able to explain that to to your parents and how that felt and things like that yes um sometimes on the weekends before like I was allowed to go home um like on the when it was weekends and I was not allowed to go home I would just stay in my bed in the hospital with my parents and just watch your videos and explain to her like look this is what ex- uh, extreme and mental hunger means and yeah your videos were a big motivation to me as but well. that's just amazing to me that like so what did you decide one day to just google anorexia recovery and and you look on the internet for all sorts of different things i was looking at this video from a, a girl and she was like what i eat in a day and then like she and like she put like on the screen like text of like what she was thinking and then like what her eating disorder was thinking mm-hmm. and in the middle of the vid in the video she uh had um a scene where she was like saying staying away from distractions uh distracting myself while eating and she was watching one of your videos and I was like maybe I should give it a try maybe it's gonna help me too and that's do you use do you use the internet for like other things is it kind of normal to you whenever you've got a problem or you or you want to do something that you would just plug it into the internet yes because I think that that's that's what I'm I'm trying to work out because I'm way old so to me I just um 
I obviously used the internet a lot, but I certainly didn't. It wasn't really about that much in recovery. So it's just amazing to me that you got told, you got diagnosed, got anorexia, and then you're like, right, I'm going to use the internet to start searching for things. And also, it's a bit scary because there's a lot of stuff on the internet and not all of it would help you recover. So how did, how did you tell apart the stuff that you thought might help you recover from the stuff that maybe might not be so helpful? Oh, well, first of all, on my Instagram, I always, like, on my feed, I always see, like, all these dieting posts. And for a few weeks, I tried just deleting Instagram off my phone and not using it. Mm-hmm. And that was a challenge because I always had, I always wanted to install it back and look on Instagram. But, like, I not at these dieting posts, but, like, on my friends and stuff. But I knew that I'd always come up across other stuff that won't help me recover right so I decided for the best to just delete it off my phone yeah so you you you, so you're telling me as an 11 year old boy you have enough discernment to decide that Instagram it wasn't helpful for your recovery and you chose to delete it off your phone yeah all right so let's fast forward to now um how are you doing now in, in recovery now, um, after having a session with you, I started, like, listening and um, to your tips and eating everything that I craved, even after restoring my weight, and listening to all my hungers, and also, so I create the, like, neural pathway, I think, that, like, food isn't scarce anymore, and that's what you said. Mm-hmm. So do you you understand the neural pathway a bit, and you you, you understand what yeah. the neural wiring part is? Did it did it did it was that difficult for you to understand? Because for for me that was difficult for me to understand for a long time. No, it wasn't that difficult. No. So how do you understand? How do you understand it? How how did that make sense to you? That I had to link something in my head that like food isn't bad and that food isn't also that food is always available and that it isn't limited or only a certain type of food is there mm-hmm. and that you can eat what you want I guess because that's what you have been doing um would, was there much was there much fear did associated with, with when you first started doing that did it make you you nervous um, not really, because, like, I don't have, like, bad thoughts anymore. It's just, like, sometimes I'm thinking, like, whoa, like, it's a bit crazy. I've eaten dinner, and, like, a few minutes later, I'm eating a chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. But you don't pay much attention to that thought, it seems. You no. just get on and eat that chocolate bar. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, are you feeling that now you're much more confident in responding to your hunger and um I guess what are the main things that you think that you you've learned so that you you've learned about how you need to eat and how you need to keep your body safe I've learned that um I have to um now that I'm out of the hospital I have to uh just listen to my body and trust my body that it's that's going to keep me alive and safe. And I listen to my body, like, 
for when I portion my food, I just think about like what my body would want and how much of it. Mhm. Mhm. Um. And do are you do are you getting back to doing now the things that you love to do before your eating disorder? Do you think like life's getting a bit more normal again? Yes, I love to talk with my friends and when I got my eating disorder I couldn't really like even my voice was like not as loud and mm -hmm. like nobody would hear me and and people wouldn't pay much attention to me and I wouldn't have that much energy to I mean yes people did pay attention to me at the beginning like that I lost so much weight over the summer but then like they were also like talking to each other and not really paying that much thought to me yeah and that's something that I'm happy that I'm back you feel more to. social it sounds like yeah. yeah you connect with people more and also my uh favorite thing to do and my passion is basketball and I'm happy to be back to playing it as long as I want and only when I want and not when my eating disorder say that says that I want mm -hmm. yeah it sounds like you you're really able to discern the difference there between the compulsivity and just doing something because you enjoy it and you know now that your body's in a healthy space that you're yeah. able to enjoy doing the things that you really want to again, which is the whole point of recovery, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you... We so I guess like before you before you knew you had an eating disorder, you didn't really know much about eating disorders, so you didn't have all of these perceptions of what an eating disorder was. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so maybe that also helped you be a little bit more um, open to trying different things and not taking on the identity of, oh, I have an eating disorder, so I'm supposed to act like this. Because it just seems to me it's very interesting to me that you seem so able to just quite you know business like say well I've got an eating disorder and these are the things I need to do and I'm going to research it and I'm going to get better yeah, that yeah. Is. but you you don't see that that's abnormal that's just something that you realized you had to do yeah when I have a problem I look at all my options and try to solve it and that was with my eating disorder too and so have, and have you just always been like that did is, do you think yeah. your parents taught you that like where did that come from well, it's just normal sense, basically. Like, if you have a problem, you have to somehow solve it in any way. I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> just, um, some of us don't always have that, that kind of normal sense, as you put it. Um, well, I think you've done fantastically. And um, just wishing you the best of luck going forward so I think you've got your attitude is spot on um and you're still working with your parents aren't you on kind of you know like it's you're still working with your parents on meals and, and structure and, and help with that sort of thing yeah but they no they haven't really said that much to me since I got out of the hospital maybe like a bit um when I got out but once they saw that like I'm not wanting to relapse they were like oh I think I can trust him to uh eat how he wants and but sometimes she my mom would still ask me like what I've eaten just to make sure mm-hmm
and you understand like it doesn't annoy you that she's yeah. being that because you understand that she's just yeah, I understand that she's cautious of what can happen yeah and well um thank you for talking to me and um I just think you're so smart and I help lots of people listen it's because what I, I know you're only 11, but a lot of the things that you say, I know a lot of people a lot older than you could do with listening to. I learned a lot from talking to S. I, um, I just was, I, I learned a lot about how I think that most of us that are being a little bit older when we're diagnosed and maybe in a, an area where um, eating disorders are seen a certain way, how that does actually affect us, even if we might not understand that it does. I um, After I had recorded that podcast with S, I reached out to his mum and um, I said, um, I, w- I just asked her if she had anything that she would like to write to me that I could um, read out afterwards or on this podcast. And this was, this was what she put as my opinion as a mother. It is very hard to go through an illness like this, especially because it is not a common one. It's very hard to diagnose, too new for most people and too hard to fight. It took us a few months to put the science together to understand that this is not my son dieting and doing sports, which seemed healthy at the beginning. Then it took another while to process the science and research open brackets, as this wasn't a familiar illness where I grew up in Eastern European post-communism country, close brackets, and then to look for help in a country where we are living as expats. It helped understanding the condition, being ready to talk about it and ask for help, soon realising that mostly everyone who I talked to was familiar with it, they'd either had it themselves or someone close to them had. This way we were given advice and doctor's references. We were very lucky to meet a good medical system that was prepared to support S with proper context and therapies. However, S was the person that made the difference. By being open to us, by being mature enough to see his anorexia, understanding the dimension of it and fighting it with all of his powers. Staying in the hospital wasn't easy. He was struggling at the beginning until finding good motivation, and this may have been wanting to get back home. Then easily, with medical support and tips from friends, he started to differentiate the anorexia thoughts from his own good thoughts, and he started choosing his own good thoughts, even if it was hard at first. We are very proud of him, and we feel very fortunate to be his parents. And so as you can see, S has very loving, supportive, engaged, and parents who are active in his recovery. But that doesn't mean that S had to be inactive or redundant in his own recovery, even at 11 years old. And I think what this really taught me, this experience, was not to underestimate people, not to underestimate people with eating disorders. And I have to admit that my YouTube channel is very much, I, I talk to adults in that channel. I had never imagined that an 11-year-old boy would be listening to my YouTube channel. Oh, I swear too much. Anyway, so other than immediately feeling awful for the amount of times that I'd swear in my YouTube channel, um, it started to, it helped, that helped me understand that I'm underestimating people actually. And 
like it or not, with the internet now, kids are able to see all sorts of content. And why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't people who are not adults be actively researching, looking for resources, listening, watching things about their eating disorder when they are determined to try and recover because they want to get back to their life? I feel like I've possibly been underestimating young people also in thinking that all of them are not interested in getting back to their life and they don't understand how that their eating disorder has affected their freedom and their life because they're not old enough to understand that yet, which of course is ridiculous. I mostly work with people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, 60s, and most of them have had long and enduring eating disorders. And so it's really obvious how the eating disorder has negatively affected their freedom and their life. And maybe I wasn't just appreciating that, that for an 11-year-old boy who all he wants to do is hang out with his friends, have fun and play his love in life as basketball, that having an eating disorder really affected his freedom in a way that he understood, in a way that he wanted to no longer be happening. And so I think that, of course, many people with eating disorders do not want to recover, are unable to see their eating disorder, are unable to listen. But I also think that we should recognise when patients, regardless of their age, are able to listen, are motivated to recover, and are wanting to be active in their own recovery. Because that's really where success is going to come from anyway, isn't it, in the long run? People being active in their own recovery. And so that makes me wonder, how can we actually encourage that? And what may treat us as um, treatment providers, professionals, parents, uh, other people in recovery? What might we actually be doing sometimes to give people the message that they are not able, not old enough, not well enough, not healthy enough to be active in their own recovery? Because maybe if we can work that out, we can start to help people understand that they absolutely can be active in their own recovery. I also think it's crucial for us all to understand whether you're a person in recovery right now, whether you're a parent of a person in recovery, whether you're a treatment provider, professional in the field, that being active in one's own recovery is not the same as being alone in one's recovery. It's not the same as not asking for help. In fact, it's the opposite. Often, being active in your own recovery means that you are the person seeking help and support from other people. Let's make that really clear. As beautifully illustrated by reaching out to me, by using his parents, by asking his parents for help. Wonderfully illustrated that being active in your own recovery does not mean that you are going it alone. Thanks for listening. Cheers, and until next time, cheerio.